Well, good morning again. Good morning. Thank you. Good morning. Yes. If you would, open your Bibles, if you have one, to Mark chapter 8. Mark chapter 8. What was read for us this morning is actually the text of the sermon. Mark chapter 8, beginning in verse 14. And I will read that again for us now. Now, they had forgotten to bring bread, and they had only one loaf with them in the boat. And he cautioned them, saying, Watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And they began discussing with one another the fact that they had no bread. And Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Having eyes, do you not see? And having ears, do you not hear? And do you not remember? When I broke the, fir- the five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? They said to him, Twelve. And the seven for the 4,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said to him, Seven. And he said to them, Do you not understand? Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for this beautiful and glorious Lord's Day to gather here as your people, to worship you, Father, to praise you, to pray to you, to hear from you. And we pray, Lord, now that you open our hearts and our eyes and our understanding and make us um, like little children, Father, that we would cling to you and cry out to you and come to you in our need and in our distress and our anxiety, that even in the mundane things of life, Father, that we return to you and talk to you and wrestle with you and listen to you. We pray, Father, in the name of your Son. Amen. So what's going on here? Well, what's going on here? is the fact that the disciples have gotten into the boat with Jesus, and they realize when they, when they get there that they have only one loaf, which I don't know uh, how big the loaves were, but I can't, I can't imagine it's too much bigger than the ones we have now, and 12 grown men eat a lot more than a single loaf of bread. They're concerned about this. But Jesus is trying to teach them about something. He's bringing up Herod. He's bringing up the political situation of Israel at the time, and they're not ready to hear him. They're not even listening to what he's saying. Because all they're focused on is the bread. Jesus is talking about the kingdom of heaven. And, and oh, you mean, you mean my little circumstance right now? Is that, is, that, is that what you're concerned with, God? Is that what you're talking Oh, no, you're not. And so then instead of asking him about the bread, mentioning the bread, they start talking about the bread amongst themselves. And I'm sure we've all been there on a road trip, right? Someone forgets the toothpaste. Weren't you supposed to bring the, the other bread, John? No, but Peter said he was going to bring fish. Yeah, but Thaddeus said he was going to bring the fish. I, Right? They're, they're saying they're discussing. How did we get here? What are we doing? And there's Jesus in the prow of the boat, and, and they're, not even, they're not listening to what he's saying, and they're not talking to him about what, what's concerning them. And he's like, uh, guys, 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 I, please, stop worrying about the bread. I've got bigger th- fish to fry. I want to talk to you about the kingdom of God. Haven't you been paying attention? Didn't you see what I just did? Because earlier in the chapter is, is the story he's talking about. Okay, it's not that long ago in their past where he, Jesus had performed a miracle feeding thousands of people with a few, with a few loaves of bread. Okay, feeding 12 with one is not going to be hard for him. It's not, he doesn't even care. He said, whatever, get over it. I have other things to deal with. Don't you understand? You, you can, this is one of those places for me where I can really feel um, the tension there for Jesus. You, you can feel he's getting tired a little bit. Right? He's not sinning. You can just feel. He's like, guys, come on, really, really. 
Don't you understand? And this is a wonderful story, I think. I, I don't know about you guys, but as, as I've matured in Christianity, I, I, be, I associate myself more now with the disciples and less with Jesus. <laughs> when I was younger in the faith, uh, you know, yeah, Jesus, those guys are idiots. You know, those guys are blind. Those guys don't get it. But, but as I mature, I, I find myself more and more, yeah, these disciples, I mean, I, he's right there in the boat. He's right there. That's exactly what happens. Right? We, we, we're, we're doing the budget at home and things don't add up and God wants us to, right? He wants us to help our neighbor who, who's come over and mentioned his difficult marriage. But I'm not concerned with that, right? I'm not concerned with kingdom stuff. I've got to do paperwork and figure out this budget. Uh, I was recently trying to help my wife out um, by folding laundry, right? Yay, I'm a, I'm a hero. But, but what I found is as soon as I would fold piles, the baby would come and destroy the piles, <laughs> It's almost like he thinks I'm building them for him to destroy them, right? And, the, and this is, I imagine, mom sitting there thinking, how am I, I can't even get through this basket of laundry to move on to the other things I have to do. And, and, and what's, what he wants right there is kingdom work. He wants self-sacrifice. He wants you to deal with the child. He wants you to be changed by that. But the circumstances we're in, like this loaf of bread, distracts us, right? It becomes big. It becomes big, this loaf of bread. So big to these disciples they can't hear Jesus. And this is what happens to all of us. It's what happens in, in our marriages. It what, it's what happens with the mortgage. It's what happens when the dinner gets burned, right? Oh, no, what are we, what are we going to do? And there's real kingdom work going on. He's really communicating with us. He's really trying to teach us something, and we can't hear him because we can't get over the minor, minor circumstance right there in our, in our fingertips. So who is in the boat with them, these men? Who is it that's in that boat? How often do we wrestle with our circumstances instead of wrestling with God? No bread, right? They want to wrangle about what they're going to do, and Jesus wants to talk about the kingdom, and they, they don't think to ask him about the bread. I think that's it's fascinating that he says, right? They don't go to him at all. He's the Lord, and so he knows what they're talking about, and so he brings it up. Nobody thinks to ask the guy who just fed 5,000 people. Nobody thinks to ask him anything about it. But Jesus' response is interesting. It's very interesting. He doesn't go into a long lesson about who he is and what he can do. Right? He, he, he tells them what he's already done. He doesn't say, hey, guys, I'm the Lord, and I'm good, so stop worrying about it. He rebukes them where they're at by telling them, remember what I've already done. Right? Guys, open your eyes. Open your ears. I, I, he's, he's not going to give them a long lesson. These are guys who already know. The problem isn't, again, telling them over again, hey, I'm, I'm the Christ. I've come to heal people. He doesn't get into this long explanation about who he is. He says, guys, you already know. You already know. What did I already do? What did I already do? Open your eyes. Open your ears. Think about it. Think about it. He wants them to look back at what he, God has already done so that it sets their expectations for what he's going to do in the future. Okay? He doesn't, he's already proven that he's going to provide for them. He's already proven that he is the Lord and that he is good, and he wants them now to get down to the, the work of the kingdom. Okay? He doesn't want to have to keep going over, in a sense, the introductory subject matter. Right? He doesn't want to do that. But for us, this is such an important lesson. Because for, for us, we, we tend, 
I tend, anyway, reform people tend to, you know, we, we, we want to know more information. We, we need to know more. We need to contemplate what's going on. We, we need to get more data, more information. Who is Jesus? What does it mean? We want to talk about the situations that are going on amongst ourselves. And there's real kingdom work to be done, but we're distracted from doing it. Um, the past actions of God shape the expectations of the future. I, I learned an important lesson about this last year. Um, I'm, I'm so off in these disciples. Right, we're, we're gonna, we go to this thing called Winter Wonderland. We go to Leavenworth. We get a house. It's usually snowing. Well, we went in February, and there was no snow. It hadn't snowed in weeks. And so the kids are really excited. They're like, we're going to go sledding. This is going to be amazing. I'm like, guys, there's no snow. Well, what if we prayed for snow? Okay, well, this is one of those moments where I never really know what to say. Sure, sure. Let's pray for snow. That seems, I mean, what can it hurt? So we, we get to Leavenworth, and there is this house, and there is a hill that, that lives in shadow. It's shaded all day long, and, and it's covered in snow. There's no snow anywhere else except for this hill right behind the house. And so the kids go, of course, running out there, and they sled, and they're like, look, it's amazing, yay. And I wondered how many times have I lied to them, right? How many times have I lied to them? It, it taught me a lot about prayer. It taught me a lot about God. It, it taught me a lot about, you know, like, well, now I feel like I've got to get this long lesson to the kids about prayer and expectations. And really, he, he had a lesson for me. And, and, I, and I think this is what, what Jesus is dealing with with the, these kids in the boat, right? These little kids he's got. Guys, you, I'm right here. Remember what I've done, okay? Remember what I've done, and don't worry about the future, and let's get down to the real work of the kingdom. In our daily walk, we need to remember who God is, and we have plenty of revelation at this point to know without a doubt who he is. We need to wrestle with him. That's where most of us are at. We need to get down to the serious work of wrestling with God, dialoguing with him, comparing what we see with our eyes, the one loaf, with what he's already done, and try to figure out with him, the spirit of God, what is going on. Okay, this, we need to learn how to wrestle with him. We need to learn how to wrestle with him, and that's what we're going to be talking about today. Okay, God has revealed through his actions recorded in the Bible in, and in human history that he is God, that he is the Lord God, that he is good, and that he is present. This is what he has shown us. And we need to wrestle with what this really means in our, in our practical, everyday life. Okay? These are not just big ideas that are printed in large print at the top of a theological book. It, he is the Lord, he is good, and he is present. What does that really mean? Because these disciples in the boat who know, don't know. And I, for me, I have found doing this, I don't know, even though I know. Okay, we need to, this is what Dean and I have been talking about. What is... What does it really mean to know these things? Okay, he wants to show these disciples, and through showing these disciples, he's going to show us as well. Okay? So the first thing we need to know is that the Lord is God. God is the Lord. We comprehend the raw power of lordship, don't we? we get what, when you say lordship, we get that means authority, that means power, that means he can do what he wants, when he wants to, where he wants to. But the thing is, a lot of a lot of things in our life are struggling for supremacy. They're struggling to, to, to become the Lord in our life. We ourselves, we love to be in control. We love to be the Lord of our lives, our families, our relations, our jobs, our time, our resources. The spirit of the age is self-exaltation. 
okay, the, the lordship of man. That's, that's the spirit of the age we're living in. Now, what is also going on in this boat is this loaf of bread is becoming lord very quickly. Okay? It's, the, it's dictating what they're talking about, what they're doing, their expectations. Right? This, this lack of bread has become such a big deal to them, it's, it's almost like they're totally distracted by it. Nothing can overcome the, this mystery of what are we going to do because we only have one loaf of bread. Okay, so it's, our lives are not just about the big idols, the big lords. Right? The primary one is us, but lots of things are, are idols in our lives. Sometimes our own circumstances, okay, the lack of money, the lack of food, the lack of communication, the, the sin that's occurred, the estrangement, that's, that becomes the Lord. That becomes the thing that drives out all other fears, all other, right? And, and it just, it's the thing that we focus on. It, it becomes what our whole life is about. And, and for these guys in the boat, it's the loaf of bread. The loaf of bread has become the Lord. The real Lord is there and they can't hear him because the Lord of the loaf is mastering them right now. And, and this is exactly what, our, what we are like in our everyday circumstances. Okay, that's why I started with this point. The thing that we often need to tell ourselves that we need to remember, that we need to discuss with God, is the fact that he is the Lord. He is. The Lord is God, and God is Jesus. This is crucial to understand here. This is what he wants these guys in the boat to get. Jesus is Lord. Now, what does that mean that he's Lord? The theme of lordship is crucial to understanding the self-revelation of God in the Old and New Testament. The word Lord is used 7,700 and 76 times throughout Scripture. That's a lot. That is a lot. It's mentioned in 6,700. I'm sorry, let me go back. It's, the word Lord is used 7,776. Did I say that? I get my commas all confused here. It's mentioned in 6,700 verses, the Lordship of God. Now, that in itself, right, just the fact that the word happens, and happens a lot, that doesn't mean and is important, right? <laughs> but, but God is kind of preoccupied with getting everyone to see this. He talks about his lordship a lot. John Frame says, Lord, which translate as Yahweh in the Greek translation of the Old Testament, is regularly applied to Jesus. Okay? And, and what God is often telling his people in the, in the Old and New Testament is that he is doing the things he's doing so that people will know he's the Lord. Okay? Just doing a word study isn't enough. We need to understand what God says about this. He acts, right? He goes into Egypt. He delivers his people. He allows them to cross the Red Sea. He feeds the manna from... He's doing these things so that they know that he is the Lord. Okay, Jesus came to deliver us from sin. He performed his miracles. He, he delivered us to show us that he is the Lord. Satan is not our Lord. Jesus is. And all of the miracles that God performs is to prove that he is the Lord. What he's doing demonstrates who he is in himself. He is the supreme power. He is the supreme authority. He has all the power, and heaven on earth is his. And he demonstrates it throughout the Gospels by what he does. This is just like what God the Father, the Trinitarian God, does in the Old Testament. Throughout the Old Testament, God is doing things to show who he is. And who he is is Lord. Okay? The loaf isn't the Lord. Isis isn't the Lord. Rome isn't the Lord. That's what they needed to learn. That's what we need to learn. The Lord is God, and God is Jesus. So what do we see? What do we see in, in the Bible? We see that Jesus speaks, or we see in the Old Testament that Jesus speaks tree, and there is phys a physical tree, right? That's real power. Okay? 
ISIS can chop as many heads off as it wants to, but nobody, none of them have the kind of power where you say the word tree and it makes a tree. And Jesus demonstrates that he is that God because he comes and he says to the tree, the fig tree, die, and it dies. Okay? He, he can say, speak with a word, life and death. That's power, and that's who Jesus is. He has that power in himself. Okay, the God of the Bible can part seas. He can slay 185,000 warriors before breakfast. I like that one. He comes and saves Hezekiah by killing 185,000 people all by himself in the middle of the night. He knits every person together personally in the womb. He twirls and coils his words into DNA, into livers and eyes and bones. He says to the sun, stand still, and it stands still. He says, rise, and the dead leap up. The, he undid countless sins from countless lives in an instant. Okay, we, this is all data we know already. And these boys in the boat know it too. They get it. They've seen him. In, in the stories leading up to this, he raises dead people. He gives them sight. He gives them, he opens ears. He, he takes a few loaves, he breaks them, thanks God for them, and then feeds 5,000 people with leftovers. He's the Lord. And he's there in the boat with them. And yet they're still anxious, and they're not listening to him. It's astounding, but it's what happens to us all the time. Because where does the Lord live now? Where does he dwell? Here. He's right here, just like Jesus is in the boat. He's here. And yet we, we run up against the single loaf and we all freak out, just like the disciples did. But he's here and he's the Lord. He's the Lord. Okay, he's the supreme authority. If he wants that loaf to turn into the size of Texas, the loaf will turn into the size of Texas. If he wants the boat to turn into a loaf of bread, it will. If he wants it to rain bread out of the sky, he, he will. Okay, he's the Lord. And he's shown what, he's, what, what kind of things he does. When you're hungry, I feed you. So why now, if you're hungry, are you going to be anxious? Jesus himself says in Matthew 28, 18, and 19, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore. Okay? We're not talking about the Great Commission today. We're just talking about this part. Go therefore. Go. Do. Be. Knowing this, that all power on heaven and earth is given to me, Jesus. And if, and if you go into the world with my spirit in you, and I'm commuting with you, my power rests with you. This is the thing that is so difficult for us to understand. Because as soon as we come up hard and fast against a single loaf, we don't listen to Jesus, we don't pay attention to him there at the, at the prow of the boat, the loaf becomes the Lord. Now, what do I mean when I say wrestling? Okay? He's the Lord. What do I mean that we have to wrestle with him? What does that mean? Well, my kids are, are a good example of this for me, is, is some of my boys think that they are just the toughest, roughest in the world. And, and it's because sometimes when I'm wrestling, right, when they wrestle someone that my size, when I could pick them up and hurl them across the room if I wanted, right? I mean, my kids are tiny. If I wanted to overpower them, it would not be hard. But fighting me makes them feel strong. And not only that, I, it's so funny to me because it's so ridiculous. But, I mean, they talk about how dad, could, if dad wanted to, he could be the Hulk, right? Dad, are you the Hulk? Dad, that car's in the way. Just pick it up and move it. <laughs> right? they, they have this unrealistic expectation of what I can do because they've wrestled with me. I get down there on the floor and we wrestle. And, they, and you know, when you're 
37 pounds and you've got me pushing on you. I mean, that you've, you've, I'm sure that that feels like real unstoppable power. And, and, and this <laughs> is not about how strong I am. The, the point here is when you wrestle with power that much stronger than you, you go to it. You, you trust it. You understand it. Right? The kids say to me, Dad, move the, pick the car up and move it because they think I can. Now, if I wrestle with God and I say, you know, there's 12 hung- I got 12 hungry people here and I got this loaf of wonder bread, right? I, and I know you're powerful, God. Could you, could you feed us? Could you help us out? That's what wrestling does. That when you wrestle with him, you get to know his power, right? You become wiser. You become more powerful yourself because you know where real power lies. This is what happened with Jacob. He wrestled with God until, what, he won? No. No, he didn't win. He was subdued. But he knew who his power was. He knew where his power resided, and it was with the Lord. And that's what wrestling with him does. Now, let's, let's go further. What is that? Okay, you keep saying that. I get that theoretically. But what do you mean wrestle with him? Well, it's very similar to what's going on in this boat, but it, you know, it's one-sided in the boat here. Jesus knows what they're thinking, so he's, debate, he's talking to them about it. But when you see your circumstances and you don't understand it, you're looking at it and you're saying, I don't get how this loaf is going to feed us, go to the Lord and say, how is this loaf going to feed us? What, is he, what does he do in the story? He turns them back to what he's already done. Okay, it's a dialogue that they have going on. And does Jesus, he leaves it as questions for them to answer for themselves. This is what I mean when I say wrestle with the Lord. You go to him and you interact with him. You read his word. You find things there that are confusing to you or that are suddenly enlightening to you. That when you take to the confusing circumstances of your life, suddenly it, it puts light onto them. Okay, that's what I'm talking about. These guys are not wrestling with the Lord because they're just sitting down in the corner of the boat arguing about the bread by themselves. But when we go with the Lord and we're wrestling with him, like Job did. Job spends 40 chapters going back and forth with God with all these questions. And what happens? The Lord shows up and, they, and, and, and talks to him, speaks to him. Now, it takes 40 chapters for God to show up, but the wrestling leads to conclusion. They get somewhere together. And where they get, we're going to get to in a moment. Okay? But, but this is what I'm talking about. Like a child wrestles with his father is the way we need to wrestle with the Lord. Because when we do that, we will feel his power. We will know his power. We will know where real power lies. And anything else that's trying to be the Lord of our life will say, no, I'm sorry, this is transitory. This is weak. This loaf of bread is nothing. We, we allow what we see with the loaf to... to help us understand who God is, right? Oh, this loaf is big and God becomes small. But when we flip it around and we keep our eyes on God, everything else becomes small. It's one loaf. It's not a big deal. Don't worry about it. I've got bigger fish to fry, Jesus says. And and this is the lesson for all of us. We need to wrestle with the Lord so that we feel his power to submit to him, to come under his authority. But that's that's not all. Just knowing how powerful he is, knowing that he can make trees wither and make trees grow and make bread rain out of the sky isn't enough. So the second thing that we have to know is that God is good. The Lord is good. He's not just Lord. He's a good Lord. (laughs) These are the two things that go together. This is what Christian life is all about. He is in control, 
and he is good. Goodness is one of God's attributes. Attributes are characteristics, okay, things like being funny or being fast. In human beings, we have these kinds of characteristics that make us who we are. Some people are funny and some people aren't. Some people are fast and some people aren't. Some people are naturally kind. Some people are naturally um, not kind. Right? These are the things that make us who we are. Now, God is his attributes. This is where it breaks down for some, of, some people when they're talking about this. It gets confusing. The, the things that make God God are his attributes, but they're not just characteristics of, about him. They are him. Okay? He, he does good because he is good. This is why John calls him love, because everything he does is loving, so much so that you just say, that's love there. That, there he is. He's love. Now, some attributes that God has are, are umbrella attributes. Lots of other attributes come and live under them, and goodness is one of those. Goodness is big. We have a very simplified idea of goodness now. It seems like pancakes in grandma's house is goodness, which it is, but God is a much bigger goodness than that. Um, if you turn to Exodus 33:17 through 19, we learn a little something about God's goodness. Okay? We learn a very important lesson about his goodness. Exodus chapter 33, verse 17. And the Lord said to Moses, This very thing that you have spoken I will do, for you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. Moses said, Please show me your glory. And God said, I will make all my goodness pass before you, and you will proclaim before you, and I will pro- proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. And I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But he said, you cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. And the Lord said, behold, there, there is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock. And while my glory passes by, I will put you on a cleft of the rock, and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take away my hand, and you shall see my back, but my face you shall not see. So God is here revealing himself to Moses. And when he does reveal himself to Moses, he's letting his goodness pass before him. And then it's described. It's described as mercy, gracious, love, faithfulness, forgiveness, righteousness. When he's declaring who he is, when the goodness is passing by, he's describing it. And what he's describing it is all these other attributes we've come to know. Mercy and love and righteousness and faithfulness and forgiveness. That is what it means for God to be good. Okay? It takes all these other human ideas just to express God's goodness. That's how complex he is. That's how full he is. God is good, and so he does good. He acts mercifully. He pours out his grace. He loves us to the point of death. He is faithful to his promises. He forgives us all of our sins once and for all on the cross, applying that saving blood to us every day. He is righteous. No darkness can be found in him. This is what, he's, this is what it means for him to be good. Okay, and he, he does what he is. Go back to Mark 8, 2. If you go back to the story in Mark 8, 2, Jesus, it says, has compassion for the hungry multitude. Now, compassion is, a, is, is another one of those words that it could mean grace, it could mean love, it could mean mercy. Because to have compassion means to take someone else's situation and make it your situation. Okay, so there Jesus is teaching all these people. This is the story he reminds the guys in the boat about. There I was with all those people, and I saw that they were hungry, and I didn't rebuke them for not bringing enough bread. I didn't leave it for somebody else to do. I took it upon myself to feed them. 
because I'm compassionate, I'm gracious, I'm loving, I'm kind, right? Remember that. I just did that. And you know, disciples, that I love you, and so why are you worried about the loaf of bread? Okay, God's goodness is something that we need to get into our hearts, into our minds, and onto our lips, into our eyes, our ears. We need to flood one another with it because his goodness is, is what makes his power so remarkable to us because he can do whatever he wants, and whatever he wants to do is good. And so we have nothing to fear. No one can overcome him. And when he overcomes, he overcomes with goodness. The hands that hold all of this power are good. And this is what the disciples are having a hard time understanding. This is what we so often have a hard time understanding. Jesus is the Lord. Jesus is good. The raw and unstoppable power of his lordship is held in hands that are good. But I know, right, this is all well and good, but what happens? There you are sitting around the one loaf and trying to figure out how it's going to feed 12 people. (laughs) You're trying to figure out how that mortgage payment's going to work out. You're trying to figure out how you're going to get all the clothes folded. You're wondering, you know, this homeschooling, am I going to make my kids grow up and be dumb? Right? We're full of anxiety about these things. We're just like the disciples in the boat. You know, Jesus, be quiet. We got real issues over here. I'm sorry. Kingdom work's going to have to wait. We got this one loaf, and John's super hungry, and we don't know what we're going to do for him. Right? They don't even go that far with it, though. They just, they're anxious, kind of in this little circle down on the end of the boat all by themselves. Trusting God is the most difficult task we are asked to do. We can't perceive what is good and what is happening to us. We can't. We don't have eyes to see or ears to hear. The thing that Jesus says to them is so true of us. They look at the one loaf and they don't see, right? Hunger pains hurt. They're not good. And so how do you mean the circumstance is good? What's happening to me is, what do you mean? We can't see it. We don't have the eyes for it, the ears, or the understanding for it. So instead, instead of letting that be our prayer, instead of letting that be our petition to the Lord, it becomes the accusation. I can't see in any, any good in my circumstances, in American politics, in my husband's anger, in my wayward son's sin. So we act like lords and declare that there isn't any. Right? We, we don't see the good, and, we des- and, and that leads us to the next thing. Well, if he was really in charge and he's good, he would do, right? So he's not. I'm going to just go ahead and declare once for all what it, this is is not good. There's no good in it. And we make ourselves out to be lord. And we're right... Right? This is how we get to the start of this. Who is the Lord and what is he like? Well, what has he done? What has he revealed about himself? What, what, what is this book about? What has he done in your own life? Right? It doesn't take long. Any, any Christian who's been a Christian for any time at all, you start talking to them and you're like, yeah, you know, there was this situation. I couldn't believe it. It was horrible. I, there was no good in it at all. And God brought so much good out of it, it's hard to describe. It's almost like he broke a loaf of bread, fed 5,000 people, and there were leftovers. That's how much goodness there was. We all have stories like that. Okay? And so what we have to wrestle with is why are we so easily overcome by them when we know who is sitting in the boat with us and what he's done. 
This is why we need to be zealous to remind ourselves and one another of what John 3.16 says. God so loved the world he gave. Now, I've said this a number of times already. I feel like Dean a little bit. I'm, I feel like I'm starting to regurgitate the same stuff, but I'm, I don't even want to deal with the rest of the verse. God so loved the world he gave. That tells us everything about him. He's full of love, a love that overflows in giving. He gave us the world. He gives, us his, he gives and gives and gives, and, we're, and we worry about this one little loaf that we're carrying around because we don't see how it's going to feed 12 people. God's goodness passes before us constantly. We have to deal with the fact that we don't have eyes to see or ears to hear it, that we're not perceiving it. That's what we need to wrestle with. He loves the world, and because he loves the world, he gives. He sees all of us just as he saw that hungry crowd without a shepherd. Okay? He sees the, the multitude. He has compassion on them because they are like a group without a shepherd. And he, he sits them down on the grass, and he feeds them. That's how he sees us. That's what we need to wrap our hearts and minds around. That's how he sees us. And so what, who's the Lord, and what is he like? His name is Jesus. His name is Jesus. <clears throat> wrestle with him okay he knows that you struggle he's not afraid of your questions this is we get confused about god because of his power and, and that makes us hold back a little bit but our god is not allah he does not get angry when people right he doesn't get petulantly angry when people draw funny pictures of him right he's not so concerned right he turns the other cheek this is the God that we serve. He doesn't mind when his kids come to him and say the difficult questions, right? I, I understand a lot about the way that I act towards him by the way that I act towards my own kids because sometimes I am insulted by the, the questions they ask me, to be perfectly frank, right? They ask a question, and, and I'm just like, guys, of course I love you. Why would you ask me that, right? What, what do they need? What does a kid need when they ask you that question? For you to get angry with them? But God isn't like that. I believe, help my disbelief. God, this is happening to me, and the Bible says this, and I can't, make the, I can't comprehend how the two fit together. Could you please? Could you please? But in, that's not what we do. That's not, we don't run to the other end of the boat and, and say, what's going on? Tell us what's going on. Help us understand these things. Instead, what we do is we worry. We're anxious. We struggle. We don't listen. We ignore him down there. But what we need to do is wrestle with him. We need to learn to be wrestlers. And when we do, we'll know his power. We'll know his goodness. He will not ignore us. He will not turn his back on us. And that brings us to this last part here, the thing that brings it all together. The Lord is present. The Lord is God. He is good. And he is present. I said a moment ago that he gives, and he does. And the most important thing that he has given us is himself. And our story about the disciples, Jesus is right there in the boat, and nobody thinks to take their problems to him. He's right there. He's right there. This is exactly the absurd situation that you and I find ourselves in. The goodness of the Lord does not merely pass before our eyes. Right? It's not this thing where we're in a cleft of a rock, and he walks by, and then he goes off and somewhere else. No, the goodness of the Lord dwells in us because he dwells in us. And it's more absurd even than the disciples in the boat because Jesus is right here. He came and he gave his presence to us always. 
2 Corinthians 6.16 says, For we are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. He's talking about you, right? We're post-Pentecost Christians. The Spirit has come flooding out of the sky like manna out of heaven. The fire has come and settled on all of us. He's here with us. We do not have a God that can't be found. We are not limited in our access to him. God does what he is. He is omnipresent and intimately engaged with every aspect of creation. That's who he is. And so when he's our personal God, when we are his people, we know that omnipresence and that intimacy in a way that the world doesn't know. He comes and he lives here with us. Okay? But if it helps, because that is a complicated complicated thing to understand, think about being in a boat on the sea, and there he is in the, back, in the prow. He's right there. Every moment of your life, that's what is going on. He's right there. When you're in the car, he's right there. When you're at the dinner table, he's right there. When you're laying down to go to sleep, he's there. When you're arguing with your spouse, he's there. He knows. You don't need to hide from him. He's present. Jesus came among us to clean our hearts, to establish a dwelling place for the triune God to live via the Holy Spirit. Jesus says in the Great Commission, quoted earlier in Matthew 28, 20, I am with you until the end of the age. He doesn't depart. He provides himself to us. And this provision is good because it is what we need. He knows our frame. He knows we can't see or hear or perceive. And so he has compassion upon us and provides us with a buffet of hope and mercy and comfort and love, just as he provided the bread. Okay, now what am I talking about? Let's go to John chapter 15, and let's look at what what I'm talking about. John chapter 15. How does Christ live and dwell in us? We're going to look at a couple of verses here. We're going to go to John 15 first. Verse 26. But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. So he's sending the Spirit to live amongst us that will bear witness to Christ. Okay, but it goes on. He goes on in sixteen seven, chapter 16, verse 7. He says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away, for if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you, but if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment, concerning sin because they do not believe in me, concerning righteousness because I go to the Father, and you will see me no longer, concerning judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. So what is the Spirit going to come and do? Okay, He goes on in verse 13 through 15 as well. The Spirit comes to dwell here in our hearts to teach, to instruct, to rebuke, to declare, to illuminate. How are we going to make it on a mere loaf? How are we going to pay the mortgage? Who is going to take care of my husband after my terminal illness takes him? Or takes me, sorry. We, we are so full of anxiety. From everything from the terminal illness I just mentioned down to loaves of bread. And he knows our frame. He knows. He knows we can't see. He knows we can't hear. He knows that we cannot perceive. And so he sends us the Holy Spirit to help us perceive. 
to be the constant reminder, to be the constant illuminator, to be the one that dwells here and helps us always to understand that Jesus is Lord and he is good. That's the thing we struggle to know all the time. And he did not leave us without help. He didn't leave us without help. We need to wrestle with the fact that we have so little faith in this process. We struggle to, to really believe this. If, if I handed out quizzes, I'm sure that most of you could pass a quiz on this subject matter. We really need to wrestle with him about the fact that we believe, but we help our disbelief. He is what he does. He does what he is. And he has proven himself over and over and over again that he is Lord and he is good and he is present. Jesus is in the boat. He's in the boat with you. Talk to him. He's not afraid of your questions. There's nothing too difficult for him. Go back and look at the Gospels. Were there any difficult questions that he just ignored? And he loves you. You're his children. Wrestle with him. Feel his power. Feel his presence. Know that he is the Lord and that he is good. Why does God send the Spirit to make his home in our hearts? So that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith, that us, that all of us, being rooted and grounded in love, may have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that we may be filled with all the fullness of God. The disciples didn't get it. They were worried about their hunger pains, and the fullness of God was there present with them ready to answer their questions, ready to talk to them, ready to help them understand. And so what we need to do is go from here and and not merely be Sunday morning Christians, not be devotional Christians. He's in the boat with us no matter where we go, no matter what we're doing. And he's not afraid of our questions. He's good. And he's the Lord. Nothing can overcome him, not even your doubt. So take it to him. Talk to him about it. Take your cares and concerns to him because he loves you and he has provided a means to comfort you. And it is himself, of course. Go. He's in the boat. Know that comfort. Talk to him. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for this word. We thank you for the example that the disciples are to us. We, fa- we pray, Father, that we, we struggle so much with understanding what you're doing in our, in our lives, what you're doing in the world. We are so prone to allow the things of this world, our own sin, ourselves, to be the Lord in our lives. We pray, Lord, that you give us eyes to see and ears to hear through your spirit, Father, who dwells in us. Teach us to wrestle with you. Teach us to speak to you. Teach us to experience you in our everyday lives as we, um, as we dig into our relationship with you, Father. Not, don't make it mere head knowledge, but make it practical, experiential heart knowledge. Come amongst us, we pray, Father. Amen.